fight for the glory of God. And we win by the grace of God. What's up, guys? Chase is back with another episode of the Act Protect Engage Academy podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, and today we are continuing our Knights Templar series. Okay, so that was a scene from History Channel's show Nightfall. All right, the guy who was talking is Landry. He is the the leader of the Knights Templar, and he's trying to rally his troops during a major battle. All right? He's a major figure in the Knights Templar being its leader. So he kind of stood as the inspirational figure for their group and they relied a lot in the show uh, on his leadership and his guidance. So sit back, relax guys. We are continuing today with the Knights Templar. God bless you. Ape. up y'all all the beats are made by my friend organic dope the producer out of philly thank you so much for the custom music my friend appreciate you all right all right excuse me man uh, i'm having such a great time talking about the knights templar i hope you guys are having a great time listening to us at the uh, ape academy podcast uh, the reason why we decided to do a Warriors Through the Ages uh, series, podcast series, is because this podcast is an educational podcast, um, and it doesn't just focus on the Second Amendment. It also focuses on warriors, martial arts, fighting, anything that can provoke that that spirit of the fighter within us, Okay. And the Templars are a great example of that. Now, they're controversial. <clears throat> I'm not going to lie um, to you guys. I'm not going to blow smoke up your guys' butts. They are a little bit controversial. Um, a lot of people don't agree with their tactics. They don't agree with their religion, the way they used it, the way they used it to fight, the way they used it to motivate other knights and the people around them. A lot of people thought they were butchers and savages and killers and pagans. And there are a lot of rumors out there and there are a lot of conflicting views about the Knights Templar. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk about them in history. What did they look like through a historian's perspective? Okay. What were the good things and what were the bad things? So we're not going to be biased. We're going to take our time and go through this history I think there's going to be one more part to it because it's a lot of stuff I want to put in here because I don't want to give you guys a half 
hearted history of the Templars. I'm sorry, I have something in my throat today. I'll pause. Uh, but um, I appreciate you guys listening, okay? So hopefully you guys are having a great time listening and you're learning some stuff. And you'll stick with me, okay? So we have a long way to go, but we're going to cover it quickly. <clears throat> all right, all right, all right, all right. I had to clear my throat. Sorry, guys. This podcasting thing ain't easy. All right. So today we're doing episode 14, God's Warriors, the Templars Rapid Rise and Fall. All right. We got two sources this time. WorldHistory.org and the Knights Templar, the Hidden History of the Knights Templar by Conrad Bauer. All right, so that was the same source we used in the last podcast. Okay, uh, today we're also using WorldHistory.org, which is a great resource for all you amateur historians like me out there. Easy to understand. It's British, so you know they do their due uh, diligence as far as research and you know, kind of obje- uh, objectivity. And it's uh, pretty detailed, but it's detailed to the point where you don't feel overwhelmed, which is really important because a lot of historical works can be very, very overwhelming, all right, especially when you're trying to get information quickly. Okay, okay, so we talked about last last podcast, we talked about the historical kind of environment, the historical um, boiling pot which the Templars kind of came of age in. They they were developed in a world that was violent, a world that was harsh, brutal, um, turbulent, a lot of political uh, turmoil, a lot of economic turmoil, a lot of religious divisions, not only within, you know, between the three Abrahamic religions, which are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, but also within each one, right? within Christianity. Christianity was divided itself. Christianity was not united. The the Catholic Church had a uh, what we would call today a, a, a monopoly. They had a monopoly on the Christian religion. But there were different little subgroups popping up all over the place. They would quickly and violently get put down by the church, but there were people were starting to think like maybe there's a different way. Maybe the Catholic Church isn't the only answer to our needs. Okay, because ultimately that's what religion served people back then as they it served as an outlet, as a way to kind of clarify their existence, as a way to kind of uh, give meaning to their life because it was a brutal age back then. Um, and a lot of you know, in a lot of ways, the same thing applies today. People still kind of look at religion in the same way. Cause it's not nearly as violent as it used to be, but it still has the same you know fundamental roots um, in tradition and practice and in theology. Okay, so there's a lot going on at the time. All right, so that's what we talked about last time. We talked about the First Crusade. We talked about the Eastern Church versus the Western Church. We talked about how powerful the Pope was back then. He was pretty much the man, right? He, what he said went. He snapped his fingers and things happened. When the Pope said jump, you didn't ask, all you asked was how high. You didn't ask, you know, when, where. You just said, how high do, do you want me to jump, Pope? All right, your excellency, whatever you called him, okay, your grace. All right, so he was it, Okay. And he had the ears of the Western world. He had the ears of every monarch in Europe. Okay. 
um, Europe was exclusively Christian, pretty much. There were Jews, there were pockets of Jews in each country, but the people in power were Christian, every single one of them. All right, so we laid the foundation. The Knights began as a kind of a uh, monastic order. They're supposed to be poor, right? They're, the idea was they're supposed to give up all their worldly possessions, um, take vows of chastity, uh, give up their titles, join the uh, Knights Templar, uh, protect the, the Christian pilgrims from Muslim um, encroachment, right? Muslim violence. Uh, they were supposed to, they were endorsed by the church, okay? That was the concept. So they, they were forming, they were growing in power, right? Um, the first, the last podcast, we talked about how they started and how they were slowly growing in power and influence and how it was looked upon as an honor for wealthy families to send their sons, you know, their, uh, their, their nephews, their cousins, whoever they could to join the Knights Templar, okay? It was, it was seen as a high honor at the time. Um, they had a lot of influence, okay? They didn't start off that way, but, you know, it, it started to grow as they became more successful on the battlefield. They also kind of, their success on the battlefield kind of matched up with their economic success and their economic growth, okay? So, for right now, what we're going to do, is we talked a lot about the historical context, so what we're actually going to do right now, right, in this podcast today is talk about the actual organization itself, the actual order itself. Like what was the, what type of people made up the order? What type of rules did they have? How did they dress? What were they allowed to do? What weren't they allowed to do? Okay. So I feel like I kind of, I, I didn't address that in the last episode. So that's why I decided to make a part three next time. Cause this one, I really want to talk about the Knights themselves because it's easy to kind of get lost in the history of the, of the time period and kind of just brush aside who the knights actually were because we're talking about warriors right we're not this is not a history podcast necessarily although it, we discuss historical topics we're talking about warriors in history so the knights templars were the cream of the crop okay in their day there are other orders there are two other major orders of knights but the um templars had the cream of the crop and they also had the most money so it was it was kind of like uh, the best of both worlds you know like oh they had the best fighters and they had the most money it works out kind of like the new york yankees or something or the or you know maybe not because they didn't win the world series but uh maybe let me see who else could we say a super team uh who's a super team in basketball like brooklyn uh i can't think of one off the top of my head the, the la rams or something you know what i mean in football like a super team all right, so Templar organization, rank, structure, recruitment, training, and rules. Here we go. Oh, before I start, we have two sponsors, <laughs> USCCA and uh, Bravo Concealment. Bravo Concealment makes the best tactical holsters on the market inside the waistband, outside the waistband holsters, the best stuff. Check it out. Use code APE10 at checkout to get 10% off. Also, USCCA United. States Concealed Carry Organization, the best Second Amendment and Concealed Carry Advocacy Organization in the country. Join up. All right, guys. All right, all right. That's out of the way. Man, I'm forgetful. Okay, so Templar Organization, rank, structure, recruitment, training, and rules. Okay. So, 
Where did the recruits come from? They didn't just come out of nowhere, right? They came from all over Western Europe. And out of all the countries in Western Europe, France, France, France had the most recruits. All right, so most of the recruits, a majority of them came out of France. For whatever reason, that's where they came from. Okay, uh, so recruits sought membership for various reasons, right? So just like anything else, kind of like just how people join the military, you know, there's, there's not just one reason, although patriotic duty is generally one of the reasons, right? Not always. Same thing with the Knights Templar, right? So in general, it's like, okay, yes, I, I want to serve God. I want to, you know, protect the Christian kingdom. That was kind of like that, almost like, you know, patriotism, that, that general uh, rule that a lot of guys follow, you know, that, that kind of ideal that a lot of guys join for. Same thing with uh, recruitment into the Knights, okay? So there's a sense of religious duty to defend Christians everywhere, especially the Holy Land and the Holy Sites, right? Penance for sins, right? So to make up for sins that they did in their lives, or they want to make up for something that's stupid that they did growing up, as a means to guarantee entry into heaven. So it was seen, if you join the Knights Templar, you're guaranteed to go to heaven. Like, you're giving up everything to serve God. So that was a one-way, first-class ticket to heaven. Or... Some had more uh, earthly reasons, like adventure, personal gain, personal glory, gaining social status, or simply getting a regular income, just, just, just earning a living, okay, a lot of people were trying to do, and get some decent meals. So if you're from the lower classes, and we're going to get into this, <laughs> there weren't actually many knights, official knights in the Knights Templar. It was mostly made up of sergeants, which we'll see in a second, okay? Recruits had to meet a, free, a few requirements. They had to be a free man of legitimate birth. What does that mean? That means you couldn't be illegitimate son. Make sense? So you had to be from a bloodline, an intact bloodline. You couldn't be, as they call, quote-unquote, the bastard son of somebody. Like Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. If you, if any, uh, is there any Game of Thrones guys, uh, guys and gals out there, nerds? So he was a bastard, right? Called the Battle of the Bastards. Uh, and I'm not throwing around this bad word. I'm not trying to curse or anything. Um, sorry, Apple. But uh, yeah, so you couldn't be a bastard. You had to be a legitimate birth, okay? That's what they called it back then. If you wanted to be a knight, right? So there are two different classes within the Templars, which I'm about to explain. If you wanted to be a knight, you had to be of knightly descent. So you basically, your daddy had to be a knight if you wanted to be a knight. If you even wanted to be considered to be a knight. All right. So married men, they sometimes joined, but they had to have the approval of their wife, their spouse, which makes perfect sense because you can't do anything. All my married guys know. All my married guys know. Now, I don't know about you gals, married gals, but married guys, you cannot do anything without the approval of your wife. Trust me, you can't even go to the bathroom dang near without your wife signing off on it. So that it, it was no, it's funny how some things remain the same, even though they're different culture, different time, different era. It's still they had to get the signature, the uh, the uh, okay from their wife, the sign off from their wife first. That was rare. Most guys were single in their mid twenties. Okay, recruits were expected to make a significant donation upon entering the order. They could not have any debt, so I definitely would not be in that order. Like, 
I would be, they would look at my application and be like, really, really, Chase? Next. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> pretty much anyone today who had debts, you're not getting it. All right. Um, so the financial status was definitely something that they looked into. Like, they definitely did their freaking research uh, on your financial status just to make sure you weren't owing anyone any money. They don't want anyone coming to knock on Templar headquarters saying they you know, you owe them $10 from, you know, $11.90. $11. It's $11.95. You owe them from $11.90. You know, what are you talking about, man? I owe you nothing. Uh, anyway, so that was definitely a factor, financial status. Most of the recruits were in their mid-20s. Like, just like, you know. Uh, just like the military, most people are in, their, you know, in their early 20s or in their late teens, you know, 19, 20, 21, maybe most people join the military pretty young, although I joined older, but most people join young. Um, so mid 20s, although there were a, a bunch of examples of people joining really late in life, like the famous English knight, Sir William Marshall, who died in 1912 or I'm sorry, 1912, 1219. Okay, so some people did join really late, but like a lot of nobles, they joined like right before their deathbed. So they would make sure they, they got to heaven. And then what they would do, they would join right before they died, like on their deathbed. And then their, all their property, all their assets, they would donate to the Knights Templar. And so the Knights would, would take control of their, their pretty much their estate. And then they would be buried with honor in a, a special cemetery or, t or temple. You know, so it's like almost like they were don't like, oh, on my last wish, I am a Knight Templar. Oh, and then he died. He's like, oh, there he was rich too, man. And he, he signed over all his stuff to the Knights. So it's like they did it, you know, with a purpose. Like, you know, the Knights were remember the Knights were started off in the, with the poverty mindset, but they were like, man, screw this poverty stuff. Like, we're fighting for God. We need as much money for God as possible. So. If someone wants to join up and then they pass away right away and then they give them all their money, works for us, man. We're not complaining. Uh, okay, let's go over the rank structure. So there are two ranks within the order, and that's what I was talking about earlier, okay, about with birth. There are two ranks within the order, the knights and the sergeants, okay? The sergeants included the non-military -per non personnel and the laymen. So... There are two types of fighters within the Templars, the knights and the sergeants, but only the sergeants had the non-military people. Does that make sense? So, hmm, I don't know how I can compare this to. Okay, so let's say you work at a law firm, right? And you have attorneys and you have paralegals, right? You guys are both under the same law firm. Let's say Johnson and Johnson or Johnson, Brown and Johnson. So all of you guys work for Johnson, Brown, and Johnson, right? The law firm. You guys are all in the legal field, right? The attorneys and the paralegals and the legal assistants are all in the legal field. However, the lawyers have a JD. They're lawyers. When they go hang out, they hang out with the other lawyers, with the other partners. The paralegals, they might invite them sometimes to go out, hang out with the happy hour with them. Maybe, maybe not, but they do the grunt work. They, you know, do the the faxing, the scanning, the the copying, um, stuff like that, okay? So that's kind of similar, although it's a rough, uh, I guess it's a rough analogy, but if, if does that make sense to you guys? 
So just think of it like that. Like the attorneys, they got the JD, they got the education, they got they got the money. You know, they're sophisticated. Um, they know a little bit more than the paralegals, but the paralegals in theory, but the paralegals actually do the work on the ground, like the nitty gritty every day running of the law firm. And that's kind of like the knights and the sergeants. Okay. So you were still a member. Like I'm still a member of the law firm. I'm still a member of Johnson, uh, Brown and Johnson. I'm just a paralegal. I just know my role. Okay. And not everyone gets hired there. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I hope I'm getting across to you. I'm not going to go too far. <laughs> I'm going to go. My wife always says I go down rabbit holes with analogies. She's like, okay, you, uh, you lost me. I understood what you're saying like 20 minutes ago, and then you lost me at like minute number 25. Uh, okay. So most recruits were placed in the, in the sergeant ranks, just like I just said. The actual number of nights were like really, really few, and you'll be shocked. So when I post pictures on my IG of nights, Right of the knights with the armor, with the swords, with the freaking shields, and they're on the horses. Those guys were like rare as heck. Like there weren't that many of those guys. Okay, like most of the guys had like you know the, the shield with the sword, with the uh, regular helmet, and and the and the chainmail on foot. That was most what the Templars were made out of. Were made of. That was what most of the order looked like. The knights were like the special forces, like the cream of the crop, like the high speed guys. Okay. Uh, let's see what we got here. So the actual numbers, let's go over the numbers. So there were only maybe a few hundred full brother Templar knights. And sometimes the number might swell up to 500 knights in times of really, really intense warfare. So you have to remember... The uh, the Templars had 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 branches all across Europe and the Near East, so we got they had a branch in almost every European country. They had multiple properties, multiple castles, multiple barracks uh, in Europe and the Middle East. And think about it: even among all those, there are only at most five hundred actual knights. Remember, there's knights and sergeants. This most of the order were made up of sergeants. But there were, there, the knights were real thin. So when they say, so if I'm describing a battle, for instance, and I say there were 800, there were 80 knights, you're like, what the heck? How are there only 80 knights versus the whole army of Muslims? That makes no sense. There were 80 actual knights. There, but they had a bunch of their, of their followers with, they had a bunch of other knights Templar, members of the order with them as foot soldiers, but the knights themselves were only 80. Make sense? Okay, I think I think I explained that well. Uh, the knights were always outnumbered by other soldiers of the order. That's literally what I just said. Um, it's funny, I write notes. Like, so I do my research, quick rant. I, what I do is I decide on a topic, right? And I sit there uh, a few days before I start my research. I do all my research. I look around, I look at different sources primary sources i look at uh some maybe some clips of shows i watch a few episodes to get the sense of what was going on and then i write a whole outline and then what i do is i go off the top of the head <laughs> but then i go reference my notes and a lot of times i get ahead of my notes so just excuse me if i stumble and bumble and fumble uh so the the knights were outnumbered by the other soldiers of the order such as infantry right so that's drawn from the sergeants okay they had infantry, 
mercenaries, with aka archers. So they hired a bunch of they they paid a bunch of people, a bunch of uh, bowmen, archers to help them out to complement their forces. So they had the sergeants were the infantrymen, the grunts, the ground and pounders, the knuckle draggers. The knights were like the green berets, like the SF guys. Okay, and the mercenaries were like uh, the snipers, like the like they like they paid them to uh, pr for their services. Okay, um, the Templar forces also comprised of squires, baggage bearers, and other non-combatants. Okay, so just like the regular military, just like let's take the army for example, because that's what I know. There is a small contingent, believe it or not. Oh, happy Veterans Day to all my vets out there. Love everybody. Thank you for your service. As we're talking about the army and military service, let's salute the vets out there. God bless you. We love you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay, random. Okay. So, as we're talking about, let me, let me put the army for example. Okay. So, out of the army, there's a small, uh, a section of the army called the uh, combat arms branches okay so out of the out of the entire huge huge army the big army out of that cut away one piece let's say there's a pizza pie with eight pieces the combat arms is two pieces combat arms okay so not even probably one piece okay so we got the tankers we got the field artillery we got the infantry we got the cavalry cav scouts and a few other uh, MOSs, okay? Out of that number, the amount of people who actually fight hand-to-hand -hand on the battlefield is even fewer. So cut that one piece in four, right? So that's kind of like the Templars, right? The Templars had a huge organization, a huge order. That was the entire pizza, but the ones who fought were only a half of a piece, all right? So if you look at it like that, you will you'll you'll kind of understand the dynamics of of the of the order, okay? Um. So they had to have a bunch of people to carry their supplies, their baggage. Uh, you know, if there are you know a hundred knights, they had to have squires to take care of their horses, to feed their horses, to make sure they had their armor, to make sure their armor was cleaned, their swords were cleaned. Um, you know, they had their tent. Someone set up their tent. The knights were not doing any of that themselves, right? They had squires set up their tents, feed their horses, make sure the horses were, weren't injured, make sure their swords were, were, were sharpened. And then the knights would go ahead, put up, the squires would help them put on their armor, and they would go out there, they would do the fighting. All right? Other members of the order included priests, craftsmen, laborers, servants, and even some women who were members of affiliated nunneries. So they're also Templar nunneries that supported the Templar mission in different ways, you know, with uh, church services, with mass, uh, maybe doing field hospitals, stuff like that, okay? Uh, pretty cool. Okay, so the order was led by who was known as a Grand Master. He was the most powerful member. He was the top of the member of the he was at the top of the membership pyramid. Okay, so he was at the freaking top. He was at the pinnacle of leadership in the order. I'm not going to go through all the ranks because that would be boring and it would be like you would fall asleep. But just this, this, this remember that the Grand Master is the, is the leader of the entire order, okay? All right. So how was the order organized, okay? In covens. C-O-V-E-N-T-S. Covens. They were grouped into geographical regions known as priority or 
priorities, okay? Yeah. In each turbulent region, in turbulent regions like the Near East, the covens were based in castles, right? So if it was like a really violent region, like the Middle East, for, for instance, like Jerusalem, okay, um, areas like that, contested regions, hotly contested regions, uh, the covens would be based in a castle. But normally they would be, you know, just a regular uh, barracks, uh, meeting halls, uh, on whatever property that the Templars owned in that country, that's where their, their branch would be, right? So they have multiple properties in each country. They would have different branches that sat on those properties. That's where they met up. That's where they lived. Okay. Uh, each order was led by a preceptor or commander and reported to the head of the priory, okay? So, preceptors or commanders were the local leaders, all right? And each covenant sent each covenant sent one third of their revenue to the order's headquarters in Jerusalem. So, each covenant sent a third of their earnings of their land of their land holdings, of their grain, of their gold, whatever treasure they had, whatever loot they accumulated to the corporate headquarters basically, you know, in order to put into the general kind of bank account of the Templars, okay? Kind of like different branches of, you know, uh, sorority or fraternity, if there are any of you guys in that, in, that are Greek. You know, each chapter, you know, they collect dues, and then each chapter pays the national chapter, okay? All right, let's go over some rules. This should be fun. Okay, knights took vows when they entered the order, okay? A lot of... A lot like monasteries, like monks in a monastery, they took vows, okay? But they weren't as strict as the monasteries. So the monasteries, when you took vows, I mean, you couldn't even leave the monastery. You had to stay on the monastery grounds. You couldn't leave. Knights weren't quite that strict, the Templars, but they still had pretty strict vows. I mean, it wasn't for everybody. That's, let's just say that, okay? So obedience... Obviously to God, right? And to the Grand Master were the most important promises that were made, obviously. Attendance at church service was mandatory. Celibacy was mandatory. And communal meals were mandatory. So they always ate together. They did not have sex. And they had to go to church, okay? These things were non-negotiable, all right? Worldly pleasures were not permitted, or permitted at all. And worldly pleasures to the Knights Templar is not what we as modern Westerners would think are worldly pleasures, okay? For us, worldly pleasures are like, you know, going to like a baseball game or having a beer or, you know, going to a concert. To them, you couldn't even go hunt. You couldn't even go hunt. You couldn't go hawking, as, as knights would call it. So back then, knights loved to hunt. That's like what knights did, right? They wore fancy clothes, flashy clothes. They hunted. They hawked. And they went out on the town with women, with ladies, okay? They couldn't do any of that stuff, all right? Um, hawking means, like, you have a, you know, how, you ever seen the hawks on the people's hands, their arms? How they would send the hawks out, and um, and they would find their prey, and they would kind of track it to them. You, you ever seen that? They couldn't do that either. So they were no fun, man. They couldn't even wear flashy clothing. They couldn't wear fancy swords, like really cool swords, with like like bedazzled swords like with rubies they weren't allowed to do any of that normal knights that was like their thing like they would go to court 
in these fancy clothes with these fancy weapons with all these ladies around them they would go hunt and with the boys and drink wine the knights templar could not do any of that stuff okay they were really really serious guys i would call them stick in the muds but you know i'm not here to judge so <laughs> quick story my wife first met me she said it was, uh, they call, he, she used to call me lay stick like lay stick like I always had to stick up my butt she thought I was always so serious I don't I don't see it but anyway whatever uh that's beyond the point okay so worldly pleasures were not permitted Templar knights the knights remember the knights wore a uh, wore a white surcoat over their armor and wore a red cross on the left breast all right Red crosses also adorned the uh, livery of horses and the order's flag, right? So they had them on their horses, their battle horses, their left breasts on their tunics, and their flags, okay? Other knights had different symbols. So this is what I found out through my research, okay? And this is why it's always important to do your research. I posted a picture to you before I really started doing my research that showed a knight in a uh, with a black cross on a white background that's not a, a knight templar okay that's a teutonic knight so every order every order of knights had different symbols and different color schemes kind of like nba teams <laughs> all right so uh the, the the teutonic knights they had their uh white cross on a black background and the knights hospitaller i can't pronounce their name hospitaller wore a white cross on a black background, okay? So those were the two other rival uh, orders of the day, religious uh, knightly orders, and they had very similar uh, designs, but the Templar was iconic, right? The red cross on a white background. Templar shields were usually white with a thick black horizontal stripe across the top. The sergeants, remember, so remember, there's two Categories, the knights and the sergeants. The sergeants wore a brown or black cloak, right, rather than a white one. All of them grew beards, and they kept their hair short. So this thing about, like, the military, but without the beard. So they had the, <laughs> they had the really crappy haircuts, but they actually were able to be cool and grow beards. We can't even grow beards. Modern military, we can't even grow beards, man. Let me tell you a quick story. I trained with the Danish soldiers. Danish soldiers had beards, okay? They had goatees. They all looked like Brad Pitt, all right? And we were like, looked like little children compared to them. It was, it was, it was humiliating. Like, I, <laughs> I looked at my privates, and I was like, God dang, they look like children. They look like babies. And, like, the Danish privates looked like grown men. It was, <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was like they all looked like Jason Momoa, and we looked like, like Pee Wee Herman, you know? Anyway, I'm going on a rant with that. All right, y'all. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a flash. Musical break. Musical interlude. Ape. Oh, snap. Organic dope. Organic dope, baby. We're back. Fire. Say. 
Yao. Nice to be back. Okay, okay, okay. Ooh, what are we looking at time wise? Yao. 36. What? 3626. Okay. Alright, alright, alright. So we're gonna go over how they became so wealthy because it ends up that they started off really poor, but they ended rich as F-U-C-K. Just imagine, let me think of something like, like every business starts off with nothing, right? Every business, right? Every business starts somewhere in a garage, like Amazon with Jeff Bezos, with a big old clunky computer with a bunch of wires sticking out of it, like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. And then they become something huge. That's kind of like, just think of the Knights Templar like that. They began, they began with nine knights, all related, through marriage or blood, in some dusty headquarters in, in one of the wings of the royal palace with like four supporters. All right, one of whom being the Pope, which is a huge deal, because that's all that really matters. But they started off with really nothing, and then they grew their wealth. So It was actually stunningly fast. How quickly they became uh, prominent. All right, let's go over that. Poor knights no longer. So one of the order's chief financial backers was a leading figure in the Catholic Church. His name was Bernard of Claveau. He was a powerful French abbot. He backed the order from the very beginning. All right, from the start, he backed them. Okay, he had a lot of power and he had a lot of money. That's the most important thing. Bernard wrote letters to many powerful figures across Europe. And what he would do, he would heap praise on the, on the knights. Cause, and remember, this is in the beginning. So the knights had nine guys, pretty much, nine homies, nine cousins, <laughs> like a, a family in West Virginia, nine, ten cousins, all uh, married to the same people. Uh, just kidding, guys. Um, so he wrote letters to a bunch of people, heaping praise on them, talking about how they were amazing, how they were the ish, how, you know, they were, they would fight demons and they weren't afraid of anything and they were God's warriors, okay? Soon, so from all that support they got, they soon gained valuable standing within the church and they became the church favored charity. So what does that mean? So if the church endorsed you back then, just think about it. This is the Catholic church. This is, there's only, remember, there's only one church in all the Christian world. That's it. There were no Baptists. There are no Lutherans. There are no Methodists. There are no uh, Episcopalians. No Jehovah's Witnesses. It was just the Catholic Church. So if the Catholic Church in medieval Europe told, told their followers, which were millions of them, that the Knights Templar are a favored charity, meaning if you give money to these knights, you will go to heaven, right? Your sins will be forgiven. This is a way you can serve God by giving to this charity, by volunteering your services to this charity. You're going to explode in wealth and explode in recognition. And that's what happened with the Knights. Okay. The church's formal endorsement of a favorite charity meant that money would start pouring in. The Knights could now receive donations of money, land, businesses and other financial enterprises from backers aka sponsors all across the uh, the christian world okay so once the pope and the church 
put their put their blessings on you, put that rubber stamp on you, said, "You got my endorsement. I got you. I'm shouting you out like <laughs> like you're a shout out on a DJ Khaled song or something." Once you get that shout out, that 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 label, that rubber stamp, the money is going to start pouring in, man, because now people are going to be like, "Okay, I see you. Let's check them out. Let's check out these guys. Let's see what they're all about. Let's give them some money." Okay? So that's basically what happened. Um, the, and what this also allowed the order to do, the order could now take in the sons of noble families to grow their ranks. So once the Pope blessed the order, now rich aristocratic families are looking like, you know what? This could be a way to get our sons in the door. Okay, this could be a way that we could gain some social status, some honor some standing within the church, right? Because remember, the church is the most powerful organization in Europe. If we send our sons there, it's a high honor, right? I mean, shoot, that's perfect, right? Little little uh, Bernie, he's 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 not doing right. He won't get out of his room. He won't play with the other kids. He's disappointing us. He doesn't seem that he's really headed anywhere. He's the middle child. You know, he's not going to inherit our wealth. So what can we do? Let's send him to the Knights Templar. Let's let's gain some more standing, some more honor, some more recognition by sending our kid to them. He can be a warrior. He can serve God, and he 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 does multiple things at once. Pretty much, does that make sense? You're not going to send your firstborn there because he's going to inherit your name, your title, and your land. But maybe send your middle child there. You know what I mean? Or your or your youngest son there. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Okay, I went on a rant on that one too. For aristocrats that wanted to help the Crusades but did not want to actually take part personally, this is what I just said. Like I said, I got ahead of myself again. A son in the Templars will be treated as a freaking great honor, man. So if you didn't want to actually go, if you weren't trying to fight, if you weren't trying to go take your old butt and hobble on over to the to the to Jerusalem to pick up a sword. In your frail little arms, and what you could do is send your strapping young middle son over there to join the knights. And pretty much it's like you're going over there yourself. Just like like when my son grows up and goes to the NFL <laughs> or goes play soccer for like Manchester United. He's I'm living through him, man. Although I can't do it myself. I mean, it's basically like I'm doing it, right? I raised him. All right. Okay, rich knights. During the first nine years of the order. Very little is known about the group, so they didn't write. They weren't. They didn't appear in a in in any text, any documents, any accounts of this period for the first nine to ten years. There was no history. Does not even mention the knights. And you know what they were probably doing? They're probably growing, like grinding. You know what I mean? Like ever seen Rocky Three with uh, Mr. T? How he's in the basement of his house doing pull-ups and grinding, knocking dudes out while Rocky's getting all the fame. That's kind of like what the Knights were doing. They were just preparing. They were just training, getting ready, building up their sponsorships, uh, ships, training, building up their ranks, you know, working on their status within the church. So they were quiet, right? At first, they faced opposition from some, from actually a lot of people, saying that religious men should never be carry swords, right? They didn't believe that Religious men could be war religious and warriors and killers at the same time. That didn't that didn't sit well with some people within the church, but that quickly faded away. Um, most of the clergy, 
uh, supported the Knights, right? Because the Pope had already blessed them. So it was like, well, the Pope is infallible and the Pope is God's representative on earth. And he said, it's okay. So who am I to stand against this order? Plus they're fighting a just war for Christ, right? They're, they're, they're not like doing anything wrong to anyone. You know, they're, they're trying to actually help people. So why are we, why are we uh, hating on them? It makes it doesn't make any sense. So they promoted the ideas of a just war, right? A war to defend the church from violence, especially from Muslims, because those were their Islam. That was their main enemy back then, unfortunately. It's sad, really, because they had a lot in common, but they just couldn't get over their differences. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux wrote in defense of the Templars that they were fearless knights whose soul would be protected by an armor of faith who feared neither demons nor men. That's a direct quote from Bernard. Uh, their mission w of protecting the Christian faith against a Muslim invasion was not only limited to the Holy Land. Okay, it's, it's important to remember that. Although their chief battlefield was the Holy Land, they also protected Christ, uh, the Christian world in across Europe as well. Because we have to remember, Europe did border the Middle East in, in a, some in some areas, right? For instance. The Portuguese nobility uh, gifted them with castles and land on the southern uh, tip of the country that bordered North Africa because the Portuguese nobility, the Portuguese king, was afraid that the Muslim armies would, would, would march up through North Africa, hop on ships, and then sail over the Portugal because Portugal was really close to North Africa. So they also gave the knights a whole bunch of property in Portugal to make sure and with castles with hereditary titles and everything to make sure that they covered their back all right cover their six all right so this is the last part of this podcast today we're going on a 40 40 46 minutes all right the endorsement from the Pope this is the official endorsement all right the rubber stamp in 1139 Pope Innocent II decreed that the Knights Templar were to be a were to be considered exempt from local laws. All right, let me let let me reiterate that. Let, let me read that again. In 1139, Pope Innocent II decreed that the Knights Templar were to be considered exempt from local laws, meaning they had a get out of jail free card in every country in Europe. You could not arrest them. They did not have to listen to you. They did not have to obey any of your local laws. They were above those laws. It didn't really matter. So basically, what that would translate nowadays is that they could fly through every red light. They didn't have to stop at any stop sign. They could carry their guns in the open. It didn't really matter. Or their swords. Uh, kind of like diplomatic immunity. You know what I mean? Because the church's authority always superseded local authority. That's how it always was in medieval Europe. It's not like that now, obviously. It's a lot different, but like I said, that's a different world. Medieval Europe is not modern day, okay? The church ran everything. The church was it. It was the center of the universe. The center of the Christian world was the Catholic Church, was Rome, was the Vatican. So if the Pope said that you didn't have to do something, you didn't have to do it, and no one could enforce it. No one could make it happen. Because what that what would do if, if a ruler was like, you know what? I ain't listening to the Pope. Screw the Pope. I'm locking up these Templars. The Pope would say, oh, really? Hey, rest of Europe, this guy doesn't want to listen to me. And all of a sudden, you'll have an army from every other country in Europe marching through your country. 
not gonna happen, okay? All right. Um, the ruling of the church superseded all local governments, so the Templars could pass from one country to another without needing permission, pay taxes, or bow to any local authority other than the Pope himself. This gave Templars a huge amount of power. Just think about that on its face. Just read those words. Just listen to those words. And just think about how powerful you would be if you were exempt of all local laws. And luckily, they weren't like bandits or bad or necessarily crappy people. They're Luckily, they were like Christian monks. Because if they weren't, they would be, you know, ravaging everything. Um, Templars were officially an international organization because they were able to move across Europe at their pleasure and work anywhere in the Christian world to defend the pilgrims. They had no borders. They can go anywhere and do anything in the Christian world because their mission was to protect Christianity wherever it was. In uh, specifically the Christian pilgrims, but remember, they, they now have been given that green light, right? That get out of jail free card, that supreme authority from the Pope that said, hey, these guys can go anywhere. They don't have to obey any laws because guess what? They're serving God's purpose. They're here on earth to serve God's, God's will. So just let them do their thing. They know what they're doing, basically. The order did not only accept donations, they began to purchase properties throughout Europe. So in the beginning, right, remember I said they were a church, the church's favorite charity, right? So at first they were just a, an order, a poor order of knights, and they're accepting donations, right? Oh, just please, please. They gave out their cash apps, right? <laughs> their cash apps, their uh, vet, uh, Vim, uh, what's it called? Zells, whatever, whatever the other things are, right? PayPal's, they're giving that out. Please give us some money. Please, we're poor. And then all of a sudden, they're like, you know what? We about to buy some stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we don't need your, your cash app. We don't need, nah, we don't got no cash app no more, bro. You got to find us. Come find us. <laughs> if you want to drop off your property, you got to find us, right? So they started buying properties. Um, they purchased property in 1122, 1123, 1125, 1126, 1127, and 1128. Major, they, these are all the years they purchased major properties. Just remember, in 1095, they had no property. A hundred years later, not even a hundred years, not even, not even a hundred years later, less than a hundred years later, they had a bunch of properties. Um, some aristocrats let the Templars, uh, oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. So some. Some aristocrats, they donated their servants, their, their labor forces, either when they died or as a donation to the church. They would say, here you go, Templars. Here's my entire labor force. So now the Templars had access to labor as well, indentured serfs and servants, right? So there are certain nobles who would say, you know what? When they passed away, they gave their land and they gave their, all their serfs, all their servants to the Templars. Due to their wide reach and their multiple networks throughout Europe and the Near East, the Templars are likely, are, li are widely considered and are likely to be the first multinational corporation in the history of the world. And when people ask me, they say, Trace, uh, why are you doing the Templars? They're white men and they're European and they, they're racist and they're sexist and they're, they, they are pagans and they're Satanists and you should be doing Africa and India. And I'm like, I'm going to do all that, guys. Just, just hear what I just read. 
all right, due to their wide reach in multiple networks throughout Europe and the Middle East, the, temp the Templars, the Templars, Templars, the Knight Templars are likely the first multinational corporation in the history of the world. That's why I decided to do the Knights Templar. Not because they're white, not because they're Christian, not because they love Jesus, but because they're bad ASS, they're great warriors, and they're the first multinational bankers, international bankers in the history of the Western world, in the history of the world itself. That concludes today's podcast, guys. Part three is coming soon, all right? Probably Saturday. We're at 5251. I want to thank my sponsors once again, Bravo Concealment and USCCA. Thank you so much, guys. I love y'all. I hope I didn't bore you too much. God bless you. Stay safe. Ape. Remember, stay vigilant. Stay safe. Train hard. Get after it. Put God first and your family first. And stay positive, y'all. Y'all can do anything and overcome any obstacle that's put in your way. God bless you. I love y'all. Ape.